broadband internet service providers in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. That is Jordan. And that over there is Carlin. Today is one of Jordan's picks. Yes. And it I, is a movie called Django Unchained. Is it really called Django Unchained? I thought the D was silent. No, the D is silent. The D is right. silent. Django Unchained, a 2012 offering from Mr. Quentin Tarantino, who yes. wrote and directed it, and has a small role in it. You know what? I think this is actually our first uh, Quentin Tarantino movie. It most definitely is our first. It's a good one. Uh, yeah. It's actually... Um, I mean, not to knock Pulp Fiction or, or I've always I've always preferred Reservoir Dogs over Pulp Fiction personally, but um, this one really stands out to me in his particular uh, catalog as probably one of his stronger films. I agree. Um, I know, I know a lot of people had said that that it was one of his best to date. Yeah. When it came out, um, I'm not sure if I think it's. I mean, I think it's great because mm-hmm. he does a lot of things. I think I may like Inglorious Bastards a little bit more. Right, and like we were talking off air, I had not yet had an opportunity to see that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is it on Netflix at all or? Um, Inglorious Bastards. I think it might be actually. Oh, really? But let me go ahead and regale you people. Well, let, go ahead and read the Netflix. I'll uh, read the Netflix summary. summary then I want to tell you about what Tarantino's up to. I'm next. sure you have a wonderful story to share. I do. So, uh, for the Netflix summary, accompanied by a German bounty hunter, a free slave named Django travels across America to free his wife from a sadistic plantation owner. Yes. Very much correct. And as you mentioned, it's it's uh Directed by Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. and in addition to Reservoir Dogs, which we mentioned previously, he's also ja- directed Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Great and, film. And he's also directed Four Rooms. He did one of the rooms in Four Rooms, which was my favorite room in that film. Uh, I just said room a lot. Yes. <laughs> um, he's done so many great films, honestly. He's done a lot of really good stuff. And he just continues to. You know, He did Death Proof when they had that grindhouse uh, double feature come out with yes. he and Robert Rodriguez. Um, he's worked with a lot of big name actors too. Well, yeah, because I think he's one of those people. He doesn't put off put out movies every single year, but when he does put out a movie, it's considered to be something of an event. An event, yes. yeah. So this for me. So if you get a chance to be in a, um, in a uh, Quentin Tarantino movie, I think that's considered to be uh, a, a pretty big part of your career right there. Yeah. So Tarantino has said that going forward, what he wants to do is is write, make films that have a placement in sections of the U.S.'s dark past. Yeah. Because there aren't a lot of films out there dealing with those issues or set in those time frames because a lot of people are kind of too scared to to talk about t- touch on that so obviously you know during s- slavery times is a good indicator of u.s dark past because um, it was a terrible time obviously mm-hmm. um so sticking with that theme the next film that tarantino is going to be doing that he's currently working on is going to be called the hateful eight and it's a Western style, uh, and it has a little bit of synopsis. Synopsis is, in post-Civil War Wyoming, bounty hunters try to find shelter during a blizzard, but get involved in a plot of betrayal and deception. Sounds awesome, and knowing it's going to come from Quentin Tarantino sounds really good. Well, it sounds like that movie that we reviewed with... Um, 13 Assassins. No, not 13 Assassins. Um... The one with Olivia Wilde. Oh, um, um, Deadfall. Deadfall, yeah. But a good version of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. a good, like, historical a good point. set version of the same movie. Let me tell you some of the big names that have already signed on for that film that will be involved in acting in it. Mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson. Kurt, a standard, a yeah. standard Tarantino. Tarantino. Yeah. Kurt Russell. Jennifer Jason Lee, Tim Roth. Zoe Bell, wow. Michael Madsen, and Bruce Dern. Love Bruce Dern. 
he he has done some amazing stuff, and he has a small role in Django Unchained. Actually, when I saw him, I'm like, Bruce Dern, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of people uh, who have roles in in Django Unchained, and actually, since we're talking about that, it's a good it's a good um, time for me to tell you who ended up turning down roles. Yeah, for weren't Django there, Unchained. Weren't, didn't Leonardo DiCaprio actually step in and replace somebody? He did, and I can't remember who it was. Oh, I think. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, but I just wrote a list of all the people who turned down roles. Yeah. Will Smith turned down a role. Yeah, I can imagine him turning down a role. He turned down the role of Django, but he turned it down because uh, he said it, quote, wasn't the lead role. That was his reasoning. Um, Because I guess, you know, Dr. King Schultz kind of is the lead role because he's the more interesting character. But I kind of feel like the way the film plays... You could say that Dr. King Schultz and Django are they're co equal. they're co they're they're co stars of the movie. Yeah, and so I guess he just he wanted to be the one star of the film. Well, he seems to have, he seems to be interested in in particularly uh, strong actor vehicles more mm-hmm. than plot at this point. Yeah, so not shocking. And it, it's important for me to note that everybody that I'm that I'm saying past Will Smith on here turned it down because they had to because of like something else they were working right. on. Um, so the others that had to turn down the role, Kevin Costner, Kurt Russell, Jonah Hill, who was still in it, but he turned down a larger role, um, Sasha Baron Cohen, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie would have been amazing. Yeah, he would have been crazy. Um, um, but Oh, he would have made a great candy. Well... Yes, I think he would have, but I loved Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. oh, as well, Calvin Candy. Yeah, he was. There's no, there's no denying that Leonardo DiCaprio is a, is an amazing actor. And you could tell that he was having fun with that role, yes. like getting into it and just really bringing it to life. Um, which makes me say, Jordan, you should go ahead and start talking about who was in the film. Okay, we can not go just ahead. who wasn't able to be in the film. right. We could go ahead and talk about that. There were a lot of really good people in here. Jamie Foxx starred as Django. Uh, and we were talking a little bit about how Jamie Foxx has an interesting track record in picking films. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, he appeared in The Soloist. And he appeared in both Ray and Ali. He wasn't uh, Muhammad Ali in Ali, but he was in that movie. Um, he was also, though, in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. And, of course, if you're going to the theaters... This um, this December to see the Little Orphan Annie, which I think is really kind of sad that they're remaking that movie. But yeah. but um, he's going to be Daddy Warbucks in that movie. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, Little Orphan Annie is so much a story of the 1930s. Uh, Modernizing the story just doesn't seem to work for me. No, it's probably not really gonna work. No. Um. So. Who, who were you just talking about? I was talking about Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx, yeah. That's right. I'm sorry. I, I lost track for a second. That's okay. I I think that Jamie Foxx is a very good actor. Yeah. And it was really interesting because I feel like early on in his career, he was kind of doing a lot of different things. I know he did music for a bit. Yeah. Like, he did some, um, some like, R&B, some hip-hop stuff. And it was interesting because I remember... Th- kind of feeling like, I don't know where he's going to land. Right. You know what I mean? Because he was trying so many different things. Well, and he also, he did a lot of different things. Like, I know um, some of the other movies that he was in were more, like, comedy-related movies. Like, at the very beginning, I think he was in, I think he was in Booty Call. Was he in Booty Call? Or is that one of the wins? Yeah, he was in Booty Call as Buns. (laughs) Buns. Um, He was in a TV show called Sea Bear and Jamal. Um... He was in uh, Toys, uh, 1992 Robin Williams. Oh, wow. Film. Yeah. Um, he, he was in the TV show um, In Living Color. I think yeah. that was a, a really good variety show that was going yeah. um, And he was also in films like Held Up, The Players Club, Any Given Sunday. So he, he wasn't really... It, didn't, it doesn't look like he really got into a lot of serious roles... Until around 2001 when he was in Ali. Because then he was in Redemption and Ray 
pretty much right after. Those were the the big roles that he did. Shade was in there too, but you know that's not as well known of a movie right. as as Ray and um, Sh- and uh, Redemption. Uh, and then he also then moved on to he being on like uh, Chappelle's show, and he also did Jarhead, which was a pretty mm-hmm. influential yeah. movie, especially talking about the uh, Iran War. Iran War. Iraq War. Iraq War, yeah. Sorry. And then, of course, the soloist and, and all that as well. So, yeah, he's done a lot of very influential things. Well, when I was saying that, like, I kind of didn't know where he was going to land, I was... I then started seeing him get more of, the, like, those more serious roles yeah. in films. And then I just started being like, oh, yeah, this, this is where he's landing for sure. Because yeah. not only was he getting the roles, but he was excelling in those roles. Yeah. And I, it looks like he's actually... I haven't had a chance to see it yet, uh, but it looks like he's reprised the role of Django in A Million Ways to Die in the West. <laughs> Interesting. Which is the okay. um, the Western comedy that just came Seth MacFarlane, I yeah. think, did that. Yeah. So, well, that... I, I didn't have any interest in seeing it because I thought the trailer looked kind of bad, but... Now that you say that, I kind of I mean, have a little interest. The, well, that movie is definitely just... Uh, it's just... It's like Ted, I think, in that it's okay. an actor vehicle. You know, because there's a whole bunch of people who pop up in that movie. Like Liam yeah. Neeson, Neil Patrick Harris, Sarah Silverman. You know, so there's a lot of people who are just having bit parts in there. Just as kind of like a, a joke type of movie more than okay. anything else. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd's in it. So, so is Ewan McGregor. Interesting. Um, so another the the other actor who is the other lead character of the movie um, was uh, Christo, Christoph Waltz as Doctor King Schultz, and man, his character. Yeah. Um, there is so much to love about his character. And that's the thing. It's great that you're saying his character because he does a very good job playing the character. Yeah. He does a very good job. But you also have to realize the character was very well written very by well Tarantino. Written. Oh, yeah. And it's the same thing with Calvin Candy, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, like, Christoph Waltz, you know, he does such a great job in inhabiting a character who has fantastic dialogue. Yeah. You know, um, I loved I loved a lot of, and we'll talk about this, but I loved a lot of his physical mannerisms in the, in the piece. Right. And I loved how he used... Uh, his body in the environment to right. to make it just really centered and everything like that. And his overall just attitude of nonchalance with just killing people. Yeah. And just being like, just putting up his hands like very relaxed and being like, don't shoot me, I have papers, I'm legally allowed to kill this person. If you'll allow me to, I'll show you. And he really seemed to like it, killing people legally. Yeah. I, I don't... He never tried to take anyone alive because he's like... No. Yeah, it's all dead or alive, so I figure this is killing Might as well kill... Well, it's easier <laughs> to transport them that way, that's for sure. Yeah. You know, and um, and so Christoph Waltz has appeared in a, a, a bunch of different films. Um, he's German originally, so he has a lot of European titles. Um, and But he's done a few things that he would be known for here in the, in the great lower 48 and maybe also in... Alaska and Hawaii, uh, but he's done uh, Catherine the Great, uh, which looked really interesting, uh, as well as Love Scenes from Planet Earth, which has just a great title there, and also is um, an Inglorious Bastard, Inglorious Bastard, which is another really good film by Quentin Tarantino. Yes, there's an uh, an awesome dialogue in the beginning that kind of sets the film up that Christoph Waltz is in, in, involved with. Um, Definitely worth checking out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And, you know, just looking at at the the film list that he's done... um, I'm sorry, he's not German. He's Austrian. My mistake. But... um, There's a difference, Jordan. There is a difference. I'm sorry. (laughs) I have failed. I have failed. Please please write us at mostexcellentmovienight at gmail.com and just tell me how poorly I I have... (laughs) done this how poorly you identify nationalities yes yes uh christoph waltz a uh, film that he's going to be in that we've been talking about a little recently is the um film that burton is directing uh called big eyes 
Yeah. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see. Um, cool. And, he, uh, oh my gosh. Uh, well, I don't want to see that, so I'm not going to worry about The Green Hornet. No, I haven't seen oh, that. Didn't that's, look good. That's a travesty. Uh, he was in, oh, he was Richelieu in the Three Musketeers movie that came out in 2011. Horrible Three Musketeers movie. Great steampunk movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Didn't see it. I liked it. Well, who else is in this film? Obviously, a little little someone we know is Leo DiCaprio. Mr. DiCaprio is in this film. Plays the big bad yeah, Calvin as Candy. Calvin J. Candy. And, of course, he's been in Catch Me If You Can in Inception. Uh, he was also in Shutter Island, Romeo and Juliet, Titanic, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Which and, he was phenomenal in because... I, I would imagine it's not easy to play a mentally challenged character. Mm. And and be convincing, let me put it that way. And no, I, I, I don't know if I could do it. But um, do you know what his debut film was? <sighs> I do not. But you'll, you'll probably say it and I'll, I'll be like, oh. Critters 3. Okay, no, I won't be like, oh, but that's funny. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, his... It's kind of like how Jennifer Aniston... Was a young Jennifer Aniston was in the movie Leprechaun. Yes, which is weird to see. You know, if you go back and look at Critters Three now and just see him and be like, he's gonna be a big star one yeah. day after this. Yeah, you know what? That's that's like the like scraping the bottom of the barrel because if you're in the direct to DVD or direct to VHS sequel of the sequel, then you're probably thinking that your acting career is not going to go anywhere. Yeah. But apparently apparently he picked up for him. But he's young. He's young, point. yeah. Like, he really was, young. It was he was a child actor at that point. Yeah, so. Yeah. You're doing well with Critters 3 then. That's right. And then um Samuel L. Jackson plays the character Stephen Stephen the houseboy. Mhm. And um of course like uh, we mentioned before he's got a lot of roles in previous uh, Quentin Tarantino films, including Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. He's also in uh, the film Unbreakable. Oh, man. Yeah. Great movie. Very underrated. Very underrated. I think. great one. I actually think that that's Shyamalan's best movie in a lot of ways. So if if you have a chance to see Unbreakable, go out and rent that or or download it or stream it or whatever. So, let's go ahead and talk about Django Unchained. Well, first of all, we need to talk about the fact that there was a lot of controversy around Django Unchained coming out, because it's Quentin Tarantino who historically has used the N-word quite a bit. And He he definitely did in uh, Pulp Fiction, which was his first hit, like, big hit film. Um, And so, the N-word was used a lot in Django Unchained. Also, uh, just tackling the topic of slavery within the time period yeah. is something that a lot of people were not happy about. Uh, the p- most outspoken person uh, against this film was Spike Lee, director Spike Lee. Now, did he have a reason why he thought that this film was not appropriate? He said that he didn't like that there was going to be a large use of the N-word, but also the fact that he just felt like it was disrespectful to his ancestors. But here's the thing. He said he was refusing to see it for those reasons. Right. He never even watched it. Yeah. Now, to me, I mean, sometimes I can understand where people are coming from if they're saying, you know, this is a touchy time period, it's a touchy subject, whatever, so I'm a little wary of someone tackling it. Right. And doing it in an insensitive way because I suppose people could see Django Unchained as tackling it in an insensitive way because it's making a Western adventure out of a pretty dark time period. Yes. But at the same time, it is, I would think, could be kind of cathartic because it's a revenge. Yeah. It's a revenge thing. You know, it's, you know, Jamie Foxx is playing Django Freeman, who, you know, is is a slave, and owned slave, is then freed, becomes a bounty hunter, and exacts revenge on the scum mm-hmm. that, um, well, some of the scum that's involved in this disgusting society of, of slavery. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I can understand where people get upset about it. One of my problems with what Spike Lee is saying is that he's not going to see it at all. Yeah. Because 
because of what he thinks it's going to be. What I would say in that case is if you don't, like, if you don't even check something out, you can't know for sure. Well, and that's one of the things that gets me a lot of times is people will make a, a just an assumption by hearing the name of a particular piece of media, you know, that they're not going to see it. It doesn't matter. They're not going to go see it. Like, um, like I know a lot of people who wouldn't play, like, a video game about, let's just say for a certain... Oh, no, even... Oh, what was that um, film? Um, Sucker Punch? Yeah, Sucker Punch. Yeah. What about um, well, a lot of people just refused to see it because it was about a girl who was in a mental asylum. Okay. You know, because they thought that that was degrading to women. It's a crappy movie, by the way. It, I would, it's not I would a not very s- good movie. I would not see it because it sucks. It's right. not a good movie. Right, right, right. But a lot of people, because of the content matter of right. the movie would say, we're not even going to bother to watch it. But the thing is, it's a movie. Right. You know you know what I mean? It's not... It's just for entertainment. It's a story. It's fictional. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things about, you know, like Django Unchained is, it is fictional. Yeah. But there are things that actually happened in a time period in the United States involved in it. Yeah. So people do get touchy about that. And also, one of the things to remember is that the... Um, if you do a documentary about a historical factor, um, a lot of it is sanitized just because right. you have you don't have um, footage of people who are are being sold as mercantile goods. You don't have you know a working example of the eighteen hundreds um slave market or anything like that i mean we do have the horrible disadvantage of human trafficking that is still going on in the world even here in the united states uh but we don't have what was actually going on in the 1800s still happening now right which i i think is a blessing but still um so the only way that we can experience this kind of thing outside of a highly sanitized educational endeavor is to actually try and reproduce it on film and for the the moments of the glimpse into slavery that that show up in the film um they're not sanitized really i mean it yes it does not focus a ton on how the slaves are treated Mm -hmm. but when it does have moments like that it's not sanitized it's not like oh they're you know, they were happy, actually, and no, there's none of that. I mean, there's actually a part where, like, someone, one of the slaves is torn apart by a dog. Yeah. You know, like, that's, if, if you think that's sanitized, you're crazy. Right. But, and, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, but they did, and they did do that type of things, especially to slaves who tried to run away. Right. They would, and that's the context yeah. in, in this film. Um, <clears throat> for me, like I said, the thing to just say, I'm not going to see it at all. Uh, just because I think it's disrespectful to my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't agree with that. I think it's a little ridiculous to go that far. Why don't you see it and then pass judgment on what you think? And, you, and that, Then I feel like you're more justified in saying what you want about it. Because if you don't see anything, then you don't know what it is. You, you know, don't know what it was. But, Carlin, we have a great rating system that will tell me exactly what yeah, I need to Yeah, the MPAA? Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> but here's the, here's the thing. Basically, what Spike Lee did is very akin to one of the things that I totally hate in our society now, which is people who will go online and see the headline of an article, read the headline, and not read the article. And make an opinion about it. Exactly. And that happens all the time. And that's basically, in my opinion, what Spike Lee did with Django Unchained. Now, it was interesting because Jamie Foxx actually said something... um, had, had a quote about Spike Lee's reaction to Django Unchained, and I actually have it here. I wanted to read it, um, if I can get to it real quick. He had a pretty interesting response. Um, he said, There are many, many more... Uh, oh, never mind. That's not part of the quote. Uh, okay, so this was... Um, Jamie Foxx saying this. The question for me is, where is Spike Lee coming from? 
He didn't like Whoopi Goldberg. He doesn't like Tyler Perry. He doesn't like anybody. I think he's sort of run his course. I mean, I respect Spike. He's a fantastic director, but he gets a little shady when he's taking shots at his colleagues without looking at the work. To me, that's irresponsible. And that's a very good point, is that if he's going to take a look at these people who are, are working in culture now and trying to be relevant now. I mean, I think Whoopi Goldberg was probably more relevant in the 80s and the 90s right. than she is now. But um, Tyler Perry still very very much is part of the, the cultural conversation when it yes. comes to making films about African Americans and films by African Americans. Mm-hmm. So if, if Spike Lee is going to take a look at their films just off of face value from a title and say not worth seeing. Right. It almost implies that he thinks he could do a better job of anything else rather than those people. But, and the thing is he's doing it the other way too because I had found an article where he said that he had not seen the movie 12 Years a Slave but really wants to. Right. Because Steve McQueen did it and he thinks that Steve McQueen's a good director and he does good stuff. So, it is contradictory to me because obviously 12 Years a Slave was all about slavery. Right. Yes, it was a more serious look at what was happening slavery-wise and it was based on a true story. I actually watched the movie. It's a good movie. Do I think it should have won Best Picture? No, I do not. I think Dallas Buyers Club was actually a better film. Yeah. Was it still a good film? Yes, it was a very good film. Very depressing, I will say, because it is based on a true story and it does not really flinch from you know what's going on but on the other hand you know this is a film that that Spike Lee's saying I'm interested in I'm I'm very into seeing it yet he he won't see Django Unchained and I don't think that at any point Django Unchained is sanitizing slavery or saying that it was okay or anything or disrespecting any any ancestors It, it just doesn't yeah it doesn't make sense but I feel like we're probably paying Spike Lee too much mind here. Yeah. That he doesn't deserve. Well, I mean, it, it, to think about it, I honestly can't think of a movie that he's made that would be relevant to this particular topic yeah, since probably X. Yeah. You know, and that was in the mid-90s, if not earlier. I can't even remember when that movie was made. I think, uh, I do think he's a good director. No, he's a, he's a fantastic director and he's done a great job in the films that he's directed, but he's not adding a lot to the cultural conversation these days, it seems, yeah. around this particular issue, other than criticizing other people without seeing their work. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like he's trying to keep himself relevant by... By criticism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, well, God. Oh, yeah, he, he did the remake of Old Boy. Oh. That's disgusting to me. Okay, well, this is an instance where I will say I won't see that film because it's disrespectful to the source material. I've heard it's not very good, honestly. I haven't, I haven't sat down to watch it because, honestly, watching the original Old Boy is enough of a of a challenge to get through. But we're we're getting wildly off of yeah topic here. Back to Django Unchained. Speaking of speaking of. Uh, Japanese, like Korean films and Eastern mm-hmm. films, Django Unchained actually does take a lot from uh, one of your favorite directors, um, who directed uh, like Thirteen Assassins. Takashi Miike. Takashi Miike. Um, I feel like Tarantino has a huge respect for Japanese culture. He does. And, um, for example, one of the films that he attached his name to as an American producer was the uh, Japanese Western. Sukiyaki Western Django. Yes, that Takashi Miike did. I think yeah. that was actually Takashi Miike's first feature-length English-language film. Yeah, which was interesting because he had a bunch of people who couldn't speak English. Yeah, it was It was. It was interesting. It's a good film, though. I liked it. I, it a lot of fun. Uh, and actually, Tarantino not only put his name on it, but he has a small part in it. He does. But I think he got his inspiration for a lot of the look of how the violence was portrayed yeah. in this film from Mike's work. You yeah, know, maybe. <clears throat> because Mike is known in particular for having 
a lot of blood, like a, a, an overly gratuitous amount of, of blood. Yeah. Like uh, in 13 Assassins, there was that whole tidal wave, yeah. you know, and, you know, uh, Sukiyaki Western Django, like there was blood everywhere at the end of that movie. You know, there was a gr- they they divided the gangs up by one gang wearing red and one gang wearing right white, and by the end of it, it looked like both of the gangs were wearing red. Yeah. You know, so when you look at when you look at um, Django Unchained, just go in there remembering that Quentin Tarantino likes his blood splatter. Sure does. And he um, and he's definitely going to use it throughout the film. In fact, I was I was highly surprised that the blood spatter was so restrained through most of the movie. Yeah, until the very end. Until the when, very end of the movie. When um Django's just ripping people up with bullets. Uh, and then basically that plantation house is just like, bathed, just like bathed in blood yeah, on the is. inside. Um Candyland. But I did want to say the thing is Quentin Tarantino balances everything out with outstandingly written dialogue. Yes. And we've talked about his his finesse in writing dialogue before. He's one of the best, in my opinion. Um, so that is no exception in the in this film. It, it is top-notch dialogue, and it drives the story extremely well. Yeah, and Schultz's character is probably the best example of, of the dialogue. Although... Yeah. Um, Candy has some great lines as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this whole back and forth that goes between um, Schultz and, and Candy that's... It's like a verbal cat and mouse type yeah. thing. and they, they keep jabbing at each other and... Trying to uh, figure out where the weakness is for the next person. Right, and obviously the best one's at the end. Oh, yeah. Um, when... Do you want to talk about Jordan? I know it was a part you, you really enjoyed. Well, they were... They had this whole... This whole conversation about phrenology, which was just incredible. You know, if you've never heard of phrenology, it's this concept of uh, measuring the ridges on somebody's skull to see how intelligent they are. So it's completely whack science. But in the 1800s, it was something that was commonly considered to be uh, of value uh, from, a, from a scientific perspective. So... Um, so, uh, Candy brings out this skull of a guy who had been a house slave and he had known him for years and basically had raised him and raised his father and grandfather, etc. and so forth. And he goes through and he shows them these three little um, ridges inside the skull that he claims made the African races more subservient. Mm-hmm. You know, and then... Um, they they try and bring up this topic of buying Django's wife for a, a measly sum compared to what they had just paid for a, a fighting slave. Mm-hmm. You know, only $300 compared to 12000 Yeah, 12000 And um, <clears throat> And Candy uses this as a way to intimidate them um, because he then, he grabs... Django's wife and threatens to bash her skull in um you know and so there's this this tension where they're sitting at dinner and they're talking about you know all these niceties and you know talking about how lovely um Candy's sister is and how far away Germany is and how wonderful it is that um Django's wife actually speaks German and, you know, there's this cat and mouse thing going on. And then it, it just, the tension ratchets up as, you know, he brings out the skull and just goes to drive the point home. And that's because that's right after he's basically told he's being made a fool yeah. of by yeah, yeah. Steven, you know, Samuel L. Jackson's character. But the, gr- the greatest thing is how at the end when, you know, well, toward the end when Dr. Schultz is basically, has been beaten. Yeah. Because... He's figured him out, and he's like, "Look, just give me the money, give me the the twelve grand, and you can take her and be on your way." Yeah. But I win. Yeah. Uh, basically. So and I want to shake your hand. Yeah. Schultz doesn't like it. He's like, "Oh, that's how we seal the deal down here in the South is you have to shake hands." And so, you know, you can see that it's just killing, killing Schultz. Him. He's like, "I cannot just concede to this this jackass yeah. like this guy." 
And um, it's just a great moment how he takes his final jab by um, killing him. Well, that's that, but his his final verbal oh, yeah. verbal jab basically by talking about um, some of his favorites. Uh, well, his one favorite story, the Three Musketeers. Yeah. Now the thing is, um, and it's never mentioned in the movie, but Django is a French name as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Monsieur Candy. Uh, is is basically Calvin Candy is is a francophile, and he's the kind of francophile who likes the look of the culture, but doesn't know a damn thing. But about doesn't it. know a single thing about it, and is horribly educated. Yeah, because they do say that he's like, oh, he's a francophile. You know, I can speak some French. And he said, and then one guy's like, don't, don't do that, don't do that, because he doesn't know how to speak French, and it will make him feel insulted. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, like, oh, okay. It's like, oh, you mean I can do this thing that would actually make it would make anybody who was actually intelligent happy and they're like no don't do that because he'll think you're insulting him mm-hmm. it's like well that's just ridiculous um, he's just candy's just into the power candy's into power well Obviously. he's in, he's into power and he's into the in, into the uh trappings of power and one of the biggest things about that you can use for power is sophistication so the more sophisticated you you appear the more powerful you will be you know so he uses this whole um, French gentleman air to show how he's better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happens is <clears throat> he's named one of his fighting slaves D'Artagnan, which of course is the main character in The Three Musketeers. And um, and so Dr. King, Schultz, turns to him at the end of the movie and says, so what do you think about... Um, about Alexander Dumas, and it it doesn't really sink into uh, Candy's mind what he's saying, um, and he goes, "Well, what do you mean?" And 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 Schultz points out, "Well, Dumas is a black man, mm-hmm. you know." And it and this just like really that's one of the best moments yeah. of the film, obviously, because even though. Schultz ends up dying. He gets the last. The he gets last the last. Laugh. The last. But then he also goes to shake his hand, and instead, you know, his little pop-out gun comes out, and he shoots him right yeah. in the heart, um, and he kills him. But then that's what starts the whole bloodbath, and Doctor Schultz ends up dying, which you hate to see, but at the same time, he he didn't want to have it any other way, basically, right. he, because he kind of it kind of felt like throughout the entire movie he was he. Early, he was ready to die. He was kind of ready to die. It also, uh, there was this one scene at the beginning of the movie where he's talking to Django, and he and Django asks him why he wants to help Django free Hildy. And he says, well, I've never freed somebody before. I've only ever killed people. Yeah. You know, so this this feeling is something that's very liberating, and it, and is, and it, it moved him in a way that he didn't understand. Yeah. Well, and he, he's also very uh, outspoken about the fact that he doesn't agree with the whole slavery ordeal. Right. He, he doesn't understand, you know, people owning other people. Yeah. So, but um, it's, you, you get the sense that he would rather die than not be able to get the, get the last one up on on uh, Calvin Candy. Right, and also I think you you get the feeling that he would rather die rather than sacrifice his principles. Oh, yeah. Which is right. an interesting thing to say about a guy who who kills people legally for a living. Yeah. Well, it's legal, Jordan. That's true. That's the thing. It's legal, so he's like, all good. Yeah. Which another great, great moment that I love in the film is when he um, shoots the sheriff of that one town. Yeah. And he's just like, this is not the man you think it is. And he, like, proves to him, he's like, I'm guessing he showed up maybe one, two years ago and... Said he was such and such. Yeah. And he's like, this is who he is, and here's the warrant for his arrest, dead or alive. And then they just basically are just like, like, oh, okay. okay. You know, what's great about it is, is they call the, the like, the, um, they call the, the federal marshal in uh, after he shoots the sheriff, but not the deputy, and uh, uh-huh. <laughs> and he go um, tells him, yeah, this is what's going on, and um, and he's like, here's the paperwork and everything. What gets me is that all it takes to prove this is a, a piece, piece of, of paper. paper, 
Right. You know, and that piece of paper could have been done by anybody. Yeah, nobody nobody knows if that's an actual judge. Yeah. Or even if that's his signature, if it is an actual judge, you know? You know, he could have had the worst scam of his life going, yeah. going on where he's killing people and faking paperwork saying, oh yeah, this person is John Smith and he's wanted in, in Ohio for bank robbery and that's that. Give me, yeah. give me $200. And I, I, I really like how the, the training happens in this. How, it, you know, Schultz basically takes Django under his wing and is like, you know, I'm going to train you up to become, you know, a bounty hunter of my caliber. Yeah. Because he's been working at it. For quite a while, it seems, because he's very proficient in killing people, um, tracking them down and killing people. So, uh, just the whole montage of of him training to like shoot, and then um, taking him on other missions to like find these people. Like when they go and find the Brittle Brothers. Yeah. Um, which another one of my one of my favorite quotes from it. You know they. Uh, they find the Brittle Brothers, and Django's going to exact revenge on him. Basically, he's going to kill him. And he thinks back to when the one Brittle Brother was whipping Hildy, yeah. and he was pleading with him yeah, about, just... you know, please stop, please don't hit her. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I like the way you beg, boy. And just the moment when when Django shoots him, and he just says to him, I like the way you die, boy. Yeah. And it's just that, it's that jab back. Yeah. Um, and it's the revenge, you know, it's this whole, it's a theme that keeps going throughout the film. Um, and then also with, you know, ties in also with the, uh, with the KKK members. Oh, I thought that was one of the funniest parts of the entire movie. Well, and it's meant to be funny, and I think it's great because it's taking a hateful group that still exists yeah. in our society nowadays and poking so much fun at it, making them look like complete idiots yeah. on film. Who cut the holes in these bags? I can't yeah. see. The comedy in that is phenomenal. Yeah. And, and the fact that they draw it out as long as they do, well, Quentin Tarantino draws it out as yeah. long as he does. I wonder if some of that was improv. I think it had to be like to a certain level. I think there had to be a, a bit of uh, improv in there or you know because if all those lines were scripted then it would have it would have fallen apart after a while you know it, it would have felt like it was just not going the way that it was supposed to but it felt really lively the entire time and it also thought it felt really funny how that guy one guy just like throws the bag on the ground and is like well fine don't you ever come around asking me and mine for anything else and then yeah. he just rides off yeah, and 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 then when they're when they're basically saying it's like, okay, so I say we do it this time without the bags. Without the bags, and then next just, time we do it right, full regalia. Yeah, and I, and I love how they're like, now the bags are a nice touch, but <laughs> yes. they're just not really working out. And then they're trying to like widen the holes, and they're like, oh, oh I yeah. just made mine worse. I made mine worse. You know, it it, it it's a funny moment, and it's a, um. It's a moment of idiocy on their part yeah. because uh, they, they're King and and, and um, Django are, are a lot smarter than they are and have figured out that they're going to get killed. And oh man, the thing about the the plantation leader who was leading them, the uh, plantation owner who was leading them, he made all the female slaves call him Big Daddy. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Ridiculous. That was that was uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Um, I think directorially, there were a lot of really strong choices in this. Yeah. Uh, when when there were slow motion things done, when the flashbacks were done, and how the flashbacks were done, how they made it look older. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of those things made a lot of sense and were and were smart. Um, one of the other things that I really liked directorially was when Django shot the one brutal brother on the horse. Yeah. And then you see, then you just see the shot of blood splattering on the cotton in the field. Yeah, looked stunning. It and did. It yeah, it, it was very nice. Um, just smart, smart choices like that. Yeah, I think it was well done. I think the the music was appropriate for mm-hmm. it. It went well. Well, the aesthetic was. Great. I did have yeah, a question about the music to because a lot of it was really good. If it well, a lot of it was. Like more modern music, which 
felt kind of misplaced. Yeah, but I mean, worked somehow. I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of like the more modern hip hop stuff. Um, I kind of felt like that detracted from the story a little bit. I don't. Um, I thought it was cleverly done because, like I said, like it feels like it doesn't belong, but it does belong. Like it doesn't belong for the time, but right. it belongs for the context of the the story itself. You know what I mean? Like the theme of revenge, and the and kind of when you're talking about the the hip hop for that particular moment, yeah. kind of the badassness of he's getting his revenge. Well, no, I mean there was another moment of hip hop like where they used hip hop like right after the dogs ripped up D'Artagnan. If I'm, I don't remember that one. Yeah, there there's two moments of it. It's like there's the the moment where he's ripping up the entire. The entire posse at, at Candyland, but then there's also a moment where like he breaks bad on some of the uh, the slaves who are who are showing attitude, you know, okay. because he's he's trying to play this part as the as the black slaver, so he's right. got to be like a real B A M F basically, yeah. And so they use this this hip hop at that point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I felt like it was a little overdone at that point, which might might just be my personal preference. I enjoyed it, um, but it, it it's a risky choice. It is to use more modern music for that for a time period like that. Yes, but in my opinion, it worked. So paid off. But you know, um, one of the things that I want to talk about is. Um, Steven, Steven's role in it, you know, Samuel oh, Jackson's yeah. character. Snowball. It, it becomes obvious to me that he um, is happy with his lot in life because he's worked up to the position where he is the top um, slave at the plantation. Not only is he the top slave, but he's, like, writing the checks. Yeah, exactly. And, and he's, like, he's drinking the master's bourbon... Yeah, in of, front of the master of all of the African Americans at the plantation, he is the highest respected by the plantation owner. Yeah, uh, Mr. Candy, um, and he, for him, that's kind of like pres- prestigious in his mind because he's he has arisen to that that stature. Yeah, and so when Django shows up, he's kind of like. Who is this guy get, just yeah, get him showing up horse. and getting so much respect when he didn't even earn it? Like, yeah. he's just trying to take it. And I think that's part of the problem of why Steven's character is so... He's jealous of Django, really. Um, and especially because Django's free. That, well, and, and that's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, automatically, Django has more status yeah. than Steven does. And be- before he showed up, Stephen yeah. was the top. Right, exactly. So it's like you walk in and there's someone sitting in your favorite spot and you don't know how to react to it. Yeah. And that happens a lot in real life with people. You oh, know, yeah. they see someone who they might otherwise like, but because they're encroaching on their status somehow, people are kind of like, uh-uh, no, screw that person. Uh-huh. Well, like there's the um, this TV show um, that's going on right now, uh, Grace Point, uh, which is based off of the British TV show Broadchurch, and one of the main characters had been promised a job, um, and then had gone away on maternity leave. So the job had been fulfilled by somebody else. She gets back and thinks that the job is still hers, and then and then she meets the guy who replaced her, and it was just a a complete you know, an utter shock to her that they would have replaced someone like that. So, you know, there's always a point in life where you see somebody and you're like, well, you took the position that I was supposed to have and you have no context within this story whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, This movie does a really good job of ratcheting tension when it needs to. But also drawing the tension out yeah. when it needs to. Well, you know, and this is the thing, is that it's a long movie. It's nearly... It is. It's, it's like two and a half hours. Yeah, it's nearly three hours long. It doesn't feel that long. It feels so... It feels like a breath of fresh air in a lot yeah. of ways. Because the story moves along at an appropriate pace for the story. Right, yep. Um, and it also does a good job of having moments of quiet and also moments of tenseness and excitement. 
which I needed to tell you, um, they the film was actually originally supposed to be longer, uh-huh. but because of um, restrictions for for shooting times, uh-huh. they cut part of the storyline out. Oh, really? um, yeah, there was actually a whole subplot focused around the masked tracker. I don't know if you noticed the masked tracker in the film. Uh, you know that house at the plantation, a Candy's. Yes, yes, there was the land. girl, the girl wearing the red yes, mask. Yes, her. That's Zoe Bell yeah. who plays that character. There was a whole subplot involving her character. Yeah, I wondered why that just kind of felt like a dead end because yeah. she was like... It was supposed to be something, but yeah. they had to cut it out. So I'm really curious as to what that storyline was. Mm-hmm. I wish they would have had time to shoot it. Or I wish maybe Tarantino would just like release the original script so people could read that because I would really like to know... like. What was that extra part of the story? A lot of a lot of times on on DVDs, like if they have like a, a significant subplot that had to get cut out, then they'll show the storyboards and explain what was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. So that would be nice to see. Yeah. Um, another so, thing I wanted to bring up was the use of John Brittle, the the most religious of the Brittle brothers. Having the uh, stapling the yeah the, um, the Bible pages to his yeah. chest. He had the Bible pages on him. To me, it seemed like kind of calling out how a lot of terrible things have been done in the name of religion. Yeah. Uh, throughout time, and how people a lot of times will use religion to justify terrible things that they do. And there's that moment where where Django shoots him in the really? heart yeah. through one of the pages, and that's basically him piercing John's uh, John Brittle's false righteousness and personal armor. Yeah, um, which I just thought was interesting and cool. Well, one of the things that I'll I'll say about that is that um, m- much of the time, religious orders or or different religions are cast in public opinion by the worst people of the of that religion. Oh, like yeah. the the um everything slides towards the lowest common denominator, True. so um, so I it's it's very much a um, it's very much a a, a a a strong statement when you have that there, but I mean just as you you remember that there were people who used the Bible then just as they use it now to make those kinds of statements. There were those who used the Bible to, to say no slavery is wrong and slavery right. is immoral. My own uh, my the the denomination that I'm a part of actually got its start because it was an an abolitionist movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's you know there there there's something to be said about how the negatives need to be portrayed, but it's also we need to celebrate the positives. Just like we should seek out the people in Islam who are you know, looking for the positive in the world and looking to to bring peace and harmony to the world, we should s- seek those people out. Which is the majority. Yeah, yeah, and they're not they're not the members of ISIS. They're not right. the people who are part of Al Qaeda. We should look out for those people and then have them share with the rest of the world what they see as the world's major questions and how those should be answered. Mm-hmm. Um, since we're getting low on time, a few things I want to say that, that this film made me really think about, you know, revenge and how, because this is obviously a revenge film, uh, and there's a lot of satisfaction and catharsis at the end when, you know, Django gets his revenge on everyone and then he rides off into the sunset with his woman. Um, yeah, and the horse dances. I really could have done without that. I thought that was like over the top and stupid. It was a little bit. It was a little much... It was a little bit too much celebrating and yes. rubbing the salt in yeah. the wound. I did not like that aspect of it. Could have done without it. But it made me think about how there are a lot of revenge films out there, and pretty much all of them are positive on revenge. Uh-huh. Whereas I was, it kind of made me think, I'm like, you know, should we, should we really be okay with that, though? Because revenge, in general... It's a horrible thing. Right. And so it just made me kind of think of the flip side of revenge, which is... Um, the Chamwick Park a Revenge Trilogy. Yes, Lady Vengeance. Um, Lady Vengeance, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, yeah. and Old Boy. Old Boy. Yeah. Not in that order. Actually, the order was um, 
Oh, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Vengeance, Old Boy, yeah. and then Lady you know, Vengeance. Lady, but I think Lady Vengeance does the best job of desc- of describing how seeking revenge can bring about regret. Because I think they all do. They all do to a certain degree. But I loved that scene at the end of the movie where she has all of the people who had been hurt by this one individual in the same room, mm-hmm. and then instead of one person enacting out the revenge, they work together. To find freedom. Yeah, but they all... But know, they all do it. They exact revenge, but nobody gets any satisfaction out of it. And, well, nobody gets any satisfaction out of it anyway. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's reality, is re- revenge doesn't change anything. Nothing. But, so, it just made me kind of think about that. It's not really related to the film. It was just, there's revenge involved in the film, so it made me think past it uh, for that reason. And so, if anybody is interested in films that that kind of showed the bad side of revenge, um, the revenge trilogy films by Chandler Parker, yes. good ones. So, uh, made me think of that. But also, also have to throw out there one of my favorite lines is at the end when Django is exacting revenge on a, on a bunch of people. One of the guys is like, "Damn you, Django!" And then he go, and then he goes, "The D is silent, hillbilly," and then shoots him. Pretty funny. Yeah. So. It wasn't that the one that he called um, Moonshine. Or something. something like that, like he yeah. the, talking about walking in the moonlight. He can hold his hand. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yes, I think you're right on that. But also, I mean, obviously, watching it just makes you realize, makes you think of, to that time and how it actually was, and how how, how did that happen? You know yeah. what I mean? How did slavery really exist? Like, it's hard to fathom now that it existed because it seems so ridiculous that people believed in it. Well, I mean. T- we we still have our own beliefs where where we make the assumption that one group of people is better than another. I mean, right? There's that's that scene. You so mean often. you mean like people who were just happen to be fortunate to be born in a country versus people who come to the country? Yes. Yeah. I mean that that was to me the big one right there. Is because here's let's be honest. Borders are imaginary lines. Reality. Is that it's all the earth? Yeah. Well, I mean, there are some things that make it harder to get one to one piece of earth than the other, like for for oceans and and mountains and things like that. But for the most part, if you want to get from one point to another, it's possible. You know. Yeah. And and the thing that not to get too deep into to politics here, but the thing that gets to me about the immigration reform issues is like there was there was a whole bunch of children who were recently put in those those camps mm-hmm. you know and those kids were trying to escape from countries narco where terrorists yeah basically. narco terrorists yeah. were like like for every thousand one thousand people like 90 people are killed yeah you mm-hmm. know and the, the, the murder rate is so high we just had um miss world or a candidate for the uh miss world beauty pageant not to say anything about yeah honduras actually what? I think it was Honduras. So it was Ecuador. But... Um, she was murdered with her sister and buried on the side of a road. Yep. You know, so if these countries are so horrible, well, it, it it feels right now like America is no longer the land of opportunity, but is much better than the situation that they have yeah. in those in those areas. You know, so it, it it's hard to look at that, and then when those people do get here then they're subjected to horrible horrible atrocities people will take advantage of them right and left yeah mm-hmm. you know yep so anyway um ending on a down note ending on a down <laughs> note because there's no real way that you can talk about a movie that deals in human suffering right. without ending on some kind of that's down note. yes that's true that's true Although the movie does end on an up note, obviously, because well, because revenge is good in this yeah, revenge this is good context. In this. But that and that's that's a that's the thing that Tarantino does. That's Tarantino's thing. Yeah, it's always revenge for the positive. So. Yeah, um, not true to life, so people don't believe that. But you yeah, know. good film though. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'll I, take the lead on this one. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Overall, love the directing choices in it. The acting, obviously, top-notch. Acting is phenomenal. The yeah. writing, also top-notch. Um, this film could have been longer, and I would enjoy it. That is not something you no. often hear me say for a two-and-a-half-hour film. 
uh, that it could be longer, so that says something. You know what would have been good um, for the for the context of the story is like to make it more like a western is if they had thrown an intermission in there. Oh yeah, you know, could do that. Yeah. Um, obviously, in this film, I loved the the tension, how it could be drawn out or it could be ratcheted up or, or down quickly. Um, so the, to say that the pacing was very well done. Yeah. Um, the music obviously was mismatched for for the time period, but I thought it worked. It was a bold move, and I thought it, it worked just fine. Um, something we didn't talk about: Quentin Tarantino's uh, cameo toward the end was pretty funny. Um, he he gets blown up by dynamite. <laughs> um, that's funny, uh, and just overall, I think uh, a fun film, uh, but also is serious where where certain things needed to be serious. So I enjoyed it. Dialogue is top notch as usual, and I love Tarantino's writing. He does a really good job. Overall, I want to give this four stars. Okay, um, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, the music will differ on, but I don't think that's a huge difference between the two of us. Um, one thing that I will say is that in addition to being an incredibly well written movie uh, it was an incredibly well acted movie as yeah. well I especially want to highlight Jamie Foxx's role as Django um, being the title character in a movie where a secondary character steals the show is very hard to do um, but what makes Django's character so good is that Jamie Foxx does a great job of portraying him with the little things like the way he touches his hat the way he adjusts his sunglasses the way that he walks he does a great job of convincing you that he was a man who had suffered extreme sorrow and extreme pain in his life and has come out the other side and is wary for because of it yeah so he even though his character doesn't have as much dialogue as the other characters he does a very good job in the way that he physically acts the character to bring across a lot of unspoken language in the film. So I think that I think Leo, Leo DiCaprio did an amazing job being someone you love to hate. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is that if Leonardo DiCaprio is in a movie, I'm pretty much going to love the character, even right. if he's a horrible character. Right. And it's very rare to see Leonardo DiCaprio actually do a character who's downright horrible. Well, I remember when I saw the trailer for Django Unchained and saw yeah. that he was a plantation owner. I was like, "What? Really? He's yeah. a bad guy?" Yeah, yeah. I was shocked because when you think of Leonardo DiCaprio, you think of the leading man. Yeah. You th- at the very best an anti, or at the very worst, I should say, an anti-hero who is using the system against itself. Yeah. Oh, another thing I had forgotten to throw out. I'm sorry. Uh, they had thought about crossing. The uh, Django Unchained with uh, the man, man with the iron fists, that Eli Roth and the RZA had done together. Oh, that would have been interesting. Because it was kind of Western style, you know, Japan. Yeah, yeah. So, they they had talked about crossing some of the characters over. Oh, cool. But they didn't. Oh well. And I'm kind of glad they didn't because I didn't think the man with the iron fist was all that good. I haven't seen it. You can skip it. Okay. In my opinion. I wanted to like it because Eli Roth was involved, but I didn't like it. Let's go ahead and get back to sorry, Django Unchained. Um, I thought that there was a lot of fun visual stuff happening in this scene. Um, there was a bouncing wooden tooth that was that kept my interest for a lot of the movie, <laughs> um, and it was really fun to see. Um, the period I love period pieces yes and, I'm, I'm a fan as well and so it was just really fun to see like the costuming and, and the effects and, and uh, the plantation house and everything like that it was a lot of fun the scenery was gorgeous yeah oh yeah and they um, some of the scenes looked like they were in central Texas and not Mississippi mm-hmm. uh, but it was still still fine worked yeah. out just fine uh, another thing is I loved the use of the, the the camera techniques because they used a lot of antiquated te- camera techniques and and the um, the credits for the movie were also an antiquated style of projection over the film so overall for getting the details for the the kind of film right, as well as a great story, great acting, well done script. I'm going to go ahead and get this four stars as well. Awesome. So we agreed. 
And uh, four stars overall for the podcast for Django Unchained by yeah. Quentin Tarantino. Um, very cool. I hope we do more Tarantino films in the future. Oh, I'm sure we will. Uh, they seem to keep Pulp Fiction in, in Reservoir Dogs on yeah. tap at, uh, a lot. I don't think Reservoir Dogs has ever come off, honestly. Yeah. I think it's always on there. Yeah, and it's a it's a good film. It does a great job of t- telling a nonlinear story. Even a better job of telling a nonlinear story than Pulp Fiction does in a lot of ways. I think you're right about that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. All right, well, thank you so much for listening. We've pretty much exhausted all of our time and all of your patience, so I hope you have a great uh, rest of your week. You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's most excellent movie night. Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk. And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art. Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to other episodes, give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed. You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com at gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air. Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life. For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night, where movies are most excellent. This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast Production.